Wonderful. God bless you. Thank you so much. Appreciate your all's faithful work for the Lord here and encouraging your pastor. And it is wonderful to see all of you back on this Lord's Day evening. i got to tell you, I enjoy all day on Sunday, but I especially love Sunday evening meetings. And across the country, lots of churches don't even have Sunday evening meetings anymore. And the ones that do very often are scarcely attended. And I have thought to myself several times recently, I really believe this, when we talk about the Lord's Day, the whole day is the Lord's Day, not one part of it. And do you remember when Jesus rose from the dead and he appeared unto his disciples when they were all gathered together in a room? Anybody remember when he appeared? He appeared in the evening on the first day of the week. And there was one of the disciples not present that night. Anybody remember his name? All right. Wouldn't you have hated to have missed that Sunday night service? You never know when the Lord's going to do something special. And so I just am so grateful, not just that you're here, but that you're here with an expectant heart, ready to receive the Word of God. And we're going to have a, a great time the next two nights together. Now, let's just get this out of the way. We all know Mondays are hard. How many of you know Mondays are hard? And so some of you got a long day tomorrow and big things going on and press schedules and the pull of people. But I hope you'll work diligently to try to be here tomorrow evening, bring somebody with you. And I'm just praying that the Lord will be thorough with us. We started this meeting on our knees last night, praying that God would be thorough with us. I think if we're going to expect the Lord to be thorough with us, we have to be thorough with Him. And so I want to encourage you, do your best to be here for all the meetings, and thank you for being here tonight. Praise God for it. Now, one of the church members has already tried to get me to tell some college story on your pastor. That's already happened tonight. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The truth of the matter is, I don't really have any stories on your pastor, and he has some on me, so I don't want to get started. Uh, but he and I have been friends for a long time, and he's been a real encouragement to me. And I am so thrilled that God brought him to this church and uh, put you together. You know, that's really what the Lord does with pastoring people, a shepherd and a flock. And God's done something special for you here, and I'm just excited for you, excited for the future. I believe great days are ahead for this church. And we saw a, a real stirring of the Lord this morning. And to God be all the glory for that. And I know many of you have been praying. I understand some of you have been fasting and praying over the last several weeks leading up to this meeting. And I, I do want to thank you for investing yourself uh, in this series of meetings and what God has for us. Well, let's open the Word of God together, shall we? Uh, to the book of Psalms, again, to Psalm 51. Is your Bible just naturally falling open there yet? Uh, because this is a rich passage. The amazing thing about familiar scriptures is that you can go back to them again and again and again, and you never find anything new. Because truth is not new. Truth is eternal. There's no new thing under the sun. But you can go to familiar scriptures and find something fresh. There's a world of difference between new and fresh. Uh, God's not new. God's always been. As a matter of fact, we're living in a world that loves novelty. That We're like the Athenians in the book of Acts that spend all their time either to tell or to hear some new thing. When you come to the Bible, don't look for some new thing, but look for some fresh thing from the Lord. It's been there all along. But how often we come to a portion of Scripture and God begins to show us things that we desperately need. And I must tell you that even as I preach and teach through portions of Scripture, and I, I think I've only preached through Psalm 51 one time uh, in the last years. And I've referred to it often. But even this week as I'm going through it, isn't it amazing? After you've studied it and preached it and taught it, I'm seeing things uh, that I did not see before. They were there all along. Don't you love it when the Lord begins to open your understanding? 
I'm praying God will do that for us tonight. Now, Psalm 51 is the psalm of the sinner. How many sinners are among us tonight? Would you raise your hand? Good. So if you're a sinner, you qualify. David had sinned terribly. He'd committed adultery. He'd tried to cover it up with murder. He'd lied about it. God sent a preacher to him that said, Thou art the man that woke him up. David turns to the Lord. I said last night, the reason God blessed and used David was not that he was not a great sinner. It was that he was a great repenter. And may I say to you, we're all great sinners, but we have a great Savior. And if we can learn what it means to run to the Lord, D.L. Moody said, keep short accounts of sin with God. In other words, don't let it mount up, mount up, mount up until it's so unbearable you can barely deal with it. No, the moment you know you've offended a holy God, turn to him at that moment and say, Lord, I confess that to you. I want to be clean and I want to stay clean. I must tell you that I have learned for me personally the hard thing is not getting right with God, it's staying right with God. Any of you have that same situation? And so, tonight we come to a portion of this psalm that's going to help us with that. Now, let's jump right into it where we left off. Look at Psalm 51, beginning in verse number 9. Hide thy face, he prays, from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Pause just a moment. Where are your sins tonight? Look, please. Your sins are either here or your sins are here. Back in verse number 3, he said, my sins are ever before me. They're in my face. You ever, you ever think, you know, this thing just keeps jumping up in front of me. It keeps popping up in front of me. It keeps coming up in front of me. That's what the devil wants. He wants you to live under the guilt and condemnation of your sin. But the Bible says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit, God doesn't want you to live under that past sin. And so what does the Lord do? Isaiah said, Behold, for peace I had great bitterness, but thou hast in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption, for thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back. Somebody said, Why has God cast my sins behind his back? Because God's always moving forward. He never turns around to look at them. By the way, if they're behind his back, where should they be for us? Not in our face any longer. Another portion of Scripture says that they're buried in the sea of God's forgetfulness. My granddaddy was an old mountain preacher in the hills of West Virginia, and he got to preach him one night, and he said, when God forgives and cleanses your sins, he casts all your sins in the sea of his forgetfulness, and then he puts up a no fishing sign. I like that. Now, the devil likes to go fishing, doesn't he? And draw it up and bring it up again and again and cast it in your face. He's the accuser of the brethren. But I'm going to tell you, God never does that. No, when the Lord cleans your record there and cleans your heart here, he says it's clean. You've got a fresh start with God. What a wonderful Savior we have. And that's what David prays for. And then we come to verse number 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit, within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness, O Lord. Open thou my lips, and my mouth 
shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Anybody see a little key word that I pointed out to you this morning? It only has one letter. Anybody notice it? There it is again, over and over and over again. Look, verse number 1, O God. Verse number 10, O God. Verse number 14, O God. Verse 15, O Lord. And again in verse 17, Oh, God, it seems one of the psalmist's favorite words in his prayer, doesn't it? Do you know why? Because oh is a heart word. It's a, it's a spirit word. It goes way down deep inside where nobody goes but you and God. It is the groaning of the soul that is laid bare before a holy God. Something I want to draw your attention to tonight. I'm very excited to show it to you. Oh, it's wonderful. Isn't the Lord wonderful? You see, Psalm 51 doesn't just bring you to see yourself better. I must tell you, if that's all that Psalm 51 did, it would lead me to despair. If all I saw was how sinful I am, how incapable I am, how wicked I am, and what I deserve, I'm going to tell you, there'd be nothing living for and nothing to look forward to. Psalm 51, like all other scripture, is not just a revelation of me. It is primarily a revelation of God. When you come to Psalm 51, you don't just come to know you better. Praise the Lord. You come to know God better. What do we learn about God? Well, would you mark this in your Bible? In verse number 10, at the end of the verse, it says, Renew a right, what's that word, please? Spirit within me. Now, I pointed out to you already, God's doing inside work. He's, he's the inside man. He's, he's working in the inner man, the hidden place of the heart within me. But a right spirit. Look at verse 11, the end of verse 11. And take not thy holy, what? Spirit from me. Look at the end of verse 12. And uphold me with thy, what? Free spirit. And come please to verse 17, the sacrifices of God are what? A broken spirit. Would you mark please in verse 10 and verse 11 and verse 12 and verse 17, the spirit. I, I don't know how it was at your house growing up, but at our house, if mama said it once, we were supposed to listen. And all God's mothers say amen to that. If she said it twice, we were really supposed to listen. If she said it three times, it was too late to listen. How many of you know what I'm talking about? God, four times in one prayer, mentions the Spirit. Why would he do such a thing? When God repeats himself, it is never because he forgot he said something. When God repeats himself, it's because he does not want us to forget what he said. When God repeats himself, it is for emphasis. It is to stamp it on our souls so we won't get away from it. And four times, well, notice the progression, the progression of the psalm. The first part of the psalm deals with my sin, my sin, my sin, my sin. But then we move from the negative to the positive. Aren't you glad the Lord meets you where you are, but it doesn't leave you there? Now it is my spirit, my spirit, my spirit, my spirit. Oh, it's more than my spirit. Wait a minute, wait a minute. It is His Spirit working in my spirit. So how do you know that, preacher? Because He references not only my spirit, He references the work of the Holy Spirit of God in me. And so tonight, I want to talk to you about His Spirit and my spirit. Did you know you're a spirit? 
Now, you have a body, but you're not a body. You're a spirit. You're a spirit being. Now, your body is not going to last forever, but your spirit is. Everybody turn and look at the person next to you just a second. Would you please? I want you to stare at the person that you're seated next to just for a moment. Gaze into their lovely eyes. Some of you sat next to the wrong person. I'm very sorry about that. And if you're sitting next to your spouse, you better look at them lovingly right now. Do you know what you're looking at right now? You are looking at a certified ball of dirt. That's what you're looking at right now. You say, preacher, that's not very nice. No, but it's true. Look here. Do you know what you're looking at on this platform? A dressed-up ball of dirt. That's what you're looking at. Now, you may put makeup on a ball of dirt. hope you're a woman if that's what you're doing. You may fix your hair or clothe your body. But the truth of the matter is God made man of the dust of the ground and breathed in his nostrils the breath of life. Man became a living soul. And Ecclesiastes says someday the body is going back to the dust of the ground and the spirit is returning to God who gave it. So what does that mean, church? It simply means this, that your body is not going to last forever. But the part of you that is going to last forever is your what? Your spirit. See, when God created man, he created man in his own image. That's what makes you different than all the animals and the trees. God deposited a little bit of himself inside of you. And remember this, God is a what? Spirit. God who is a spirit made man to be a spirit being. And watch please, God who is a spirit does his deepest work in the spirit level of your life. I'm going to tell you part of the problem with American Christianity. It's only as good as what's on the surface. It's all dressed up for church and nowhere to go. Because we're so enamored with exteriors, we're so taken with appearances. We're we're the Instagram society. And as long as everybody thinks I'm okay, I'm okay. But I want to remind you, you are not what you say you are, and you are not what others think you to be. You are what God knows you to be. And someday when we stand before a holy God at the judgment seat of Christ, all of the exteriors and props will be torn away and we'll stand face to face with the creator God of the universe who knows all things. Listen to me. That's the way it's going to be someday, but whether you realize it or not, that's actually the way it is tonight. God sees you and God knows you. And our great need is not material, it's spiritual. And our great need is not physical, it's spiritual. And our great need is not financial, it's spiritual. And our great need is not not circumstantial, it is spiritual. Listen to me, church. Every great need in life is a spiritual need because everything else grows out of and flows out of the work of the Spirit of God in your life. Before I show you this, let me just point something out. Go back to verse 10 with me. This is where we left off today. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God. But then notice there's no period there. And renew a right spirit within me. Notice that God from the very beginning connects his creative work to the work of the spirit. Watch this, please. Who created the world? Sure, God created the world. But if I ask you who created the world among the Godhead, is it the Father? Is it the Son? Or is it the Spirit? Would you like to know the answer? The answer is yes. Why? Because you actually can't divide the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, co-equal, co-existent, and co-eternal. This is glorious. The Holy Spirit didn't begin on the day of Pentecost, and Jesus didn't begin in a manger at Bethlehem. They have always been, and from the very beginning, God the Father spoke, and he said light, and there was light. 
Colossians says that by Christ were all things created, and they were created for his glory. But go back to Genesis 1. Everybody turn to Genesis 1 real quick. I quoted a portion of this this morning, but put your eyes on it. It'll help you. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And you hear David cry, Create in me a clean heart. Oh, God, you created the heaven. Would you create a clean heart in me? Oh, God, you created the earth. Would you create a clean heart in me? Look at verse 2. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And don't you love God's and? I, I tell you, I love it when the Lord butts in. Don't you love it when the Lord interrupts? It seems like everything's spinning out of control and it's all a mess in the first part of verse number 2. And then it says, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. People say, preacher, you preach about a God of hope, but you don't know my family. We're a mess. Good. The Lord specializes in those. Somebody said, but you don't know what I've done. No, I don't know what you've done, but God knows exactly what you've done. And the Lord loves to come right to where you are. People watch the, the news and they say, I tell you, our world's in such a mess. I don't think we'll ever see God move again. I don't think we'll ever have real revival. Well, I'd like to take you to this verse and show you that when the earth was without form, void, and full of darkness, the Spirit of God began to move. That's exactly when He loves to move, and I'll tell you why. Because only then does He get the glory for it. Can I show you something beautiful before we go back to our text? Look at verse number 2. The Spirit of God, what? Mark that in your Bible. The first time you ever see the Holy Spirit, what's he doing? He's moving. And I tell you something about my God. My God's always on the move. He's always working. He's always active. I'm not trying to be spooky, and I'm not trying to be mystical. Listen to me, please. I want you to know the Holy Spirit is a real person. He is God. He is in this place tonight, and he is moving at this moment. I'm not looking for some spectacular thing. I'm not looking for some sensationalism. I'm not talking about some shallow sentimentality or some surface emotionalism. I'm talking about the spirit of the living God that moved on the face of the waters, moving on our hearts and in our homes. And I want you to know when the Holy Ghost is allowed to move, he always brings light into the situation. In the very next verse, God says light. And there's light, and it's very good. How many of you would like some light in your life right now? Yes? How about your family? Would you like to see some light in this community, in this needy area? Let me tell you how it happens. Only when the Holy Spirit is allowed to do in your spirit what he wants to do. And so with that in mind, go back with me to Psalm 51, and let me introduce you to this sweet Holy Spirit. And may I say, before we begin, I love the Holy Spirit. I love him. And I need the Holy Spirit. And I'm not ashamed to tell you that. And I'm a Baptist for the record. We've let people who've gone beyond the Bible rob us of the Bible, and that's a shame. On the day I got saved, the Holy Spirit came to live inside of me. 38 years ago, a lady took a Bible and shared Jesus with me. On that day, I prayed a simple prayer of faith, and I asked Christ to be my Savior like a number of people this morning did. Now, I didn't know this on that day. I didn't know all of this on that day, but I've learned it since then. On that day, bells didn't ring, lights didn't flash. I didn't feel funny all over, but on that day, the Holy Spirit of God, God himself, the Spirit of Christ, came to live inside of me. Isn't that wonderful? I said, isn't that wonderful? How many of you know you're saved? Did it ever dawn on you God lives inside of you? He lives in your house. How many of you think it'd be a little odd if somebody moved into your house 30 years ago and you never talked to them? 
Sounds like some marriages, but that's a different sermon for another night. It'd be strange. I mean, think it'd be odd if somebody moved into your house and you never listened to them for 30 years. Somebody said, well, that's unnatural. Well, friend, let me ask you a question. Why is it that the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of us and we give so little attention to Him? Look, when He moved into my house, He doesn't rent, He buys. And He doesn't move in and out, in and out, in and out. He moves in to stay. And when He moves in, He brings His own furniture. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Maybe it would be a good idea if we got acquainted with the Holy Spirit that lives in us so he could do through us everything he wants to do. His Spirit working in my spirit. Let's begin at the end. Go to verse 17. Who is the Holy Spirit? Number one, the Bible says the sacrifices of God are a what? Would you write down, first of all, that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of brokenness? Immediately, somebody's going to say, wait a minute. I thought the fruit of the Spirit was love and joy and peace. It is. But how many of you know, before you ever get good fruit growing, somebody's got to till the ground? The same Holy Spirit that produces the fruit of joy must break up our fallow ground. All those years growing up as a boy on Grandpa's farm, I told you one one of my grandfathers was a preacher, and the other was a, was a coal miner, and he was a farmer, and he taught me lots of things about farming growing up as a boy. And one of the first things he taught me is it doesn't matter how good the seed is, and it doesn't matter how much you water it, and it doesn't matter how much you want it to grow. If the ground has not been broken up, the life-giving power never gets beneath the surface. Could it be that our problem is not that we don't have good preaching. Maybe our problem is we don't have good hearts. People say, I tell you, we need better preaching today. Maybe what we need is better praying. Maybe what we need, instead of more preachers, is more hearers. People who are wide open to God. Would you look, please, at verse number 17. He says, God has broken my heart. It's a broken spirit. Now look at this. A broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise do you understand that the Holy Spirit feels? Read your Bible. He can be grieved. He can be vexed. He can be quenched. And I didn't plan to say this, but let me just pause and ask you. Are you grieving the Holy Spirit right now? Is there anything in your heart that's hurting him? That's a sobering thought to me. Did you know one word can grieve the Holy Spirit? There have been moments in my life where I said something about someone. At that moment, the Holy Spirit just checked me in my spirit. You know what that was? That was the Holy Spirit saying, you're not just hurting them, you're hurting me. See, the Holy Spirit is very sensitive. And I ask you again, is there anything in your life right now that is hindering the work of the Holy Spirit of God? One of my prayers of late for me personally, not for you, but for me, has been this. Dear Lord, get me out of your way. <laughs> Ever dawn on you how many times we get in God's way? There's so many things God wants to do, prayers He wants to answer, blessings He wants to give, souls He wants to save, advances He wants to make in churches like this. Dear Lord, get me out of your way. And I came to tell you tonight that the Holy Spirit who can be vexed and grieved and who Himself can have a broken heart does the work of brokenness in us. He must break up our fallow ground. But i got some good news for you. Ready for this? When you get broken, you've just gotten open. 
As a matter of fact, I've written in the margin of my Bible the word brokenness, and I've put a little equal sign next to it, and next to it I've written the word openness. Do you know why God breaks a man? He didn't break a man to leave him there. He breaks a man to open him up to, to God. See, when God breaks your heart, suddenly he's opening you to every good thing he has planned for your life. Let me prove it. Let me prove it. Hold your place here a second. Turn over to Isaiah with me real quick. Go to the right a few pages to Isaiah chapter 57. I'll show you one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. I love this verse. I'd like to preach for a week from this one verse. I'm not going to do it this week, so settle down, all right? Look at Isaiah 57, verse 15. Did you know this is the only verse in the Bible that has the word eternity in it? That's interesting, isn't it? Everlasting, eternally, that's found many places. But this word Eternity is only found in one verse, and it's connected to God. Look at verse 15. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity. (laughs) Somebody said, where does God live? Friend, you can't pin him down to one location. The heaven can't hold him, and the earth can't contain him. God's so big, he just fills up eternity. You want to talk about a big house, that's a big house. How many of you have ever been to the Biltmore Estate? You know what I'm talking about? Outside of Asheville, North Carolina, it's the largest private residence in North America. It is the most massive, the most massive, I started to say mansion, but it's more than a mansion. It's like a city of its own. And my wife and I were touring that house one day, and we were walking through it, and I said, can you imagine having a house like this? And like any good wife, she said, can you imagine having to clean a house like this? It's ridiculous. Massive. Where's God's house? God's house is eternity. That's where God lives. Read, read on. His name is holy. Praise God. I love that name. Now watch. He speaks. He says, I dwell in the high and holy place. But notice who gets to live there with him. With him. With him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and revive the heart of the contrite ones. I love this. God says, I dwell in the high and the holy place. And somebody says, yes, Lord, we know you live there. And God says, no, no, you don't understand. You get to live there with me. Who gets to live there, church? Look at the verse. Those who are contrite, those who are humble. Listen to me, friends. God is very near the broken. When people are proud and full of themselves and self-sufficient, God's nowhere near that. He knows the proud afar off, the Bible says. But the humble, he draws very close to. The old Puritans used to say that God dwells in two places. Listen to this. They said God dwells in heaven and in the dust. And then they said this, and of the two, the dust is the safest place because the devil fell from heaven. (laughs) In other words, it's not about us attaining to God. Watch this. It's about us getting low, and when we get low, guess what? God comes to us. F.B. Meyer, that old preacher, one of my favorites, wrote and said, he said, as a young minister, I thought God's blessings were like gifts placed on shelves one above another so that the higher you went in your knowledge of God, the more you could attain to God. As an old man, he said, I was wrong. God's blessings are like wrapped gifts placed on shelves, not one above another, but on shelves one below another, so that the lower a man goes, the more access he has to all of God. Did it ever dawn on you that the end of you is the beginning of him? 
That when you get to wit's end and throw your arms up in the air and say, Lord, I give up, I don't know what to do, that it's at that moment that the Lord rushes to your side. Why is that? Because the Holy Spirit is the Spirit that produces that brokenness in us. He brings us to the end of our resources to bring us to his own sufficiency. Look, when you get to the place where you say, oh, God, I'm a sinner, I think heaven applauds and God says, wonderful, I've been waiting on you to get there all along. At that moment, he declares, I am the Holy One. When you are weak, he is strong. When you are incapable, he is all-sufficient. When you are ignorant, he is wise. I tell you, everything that you and I are not, God is and more. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of brokenness. Go back to Psalm 51. Let me show you something interesting. I said to you that the brokenness leads to openness. Did you notice all the opening he does in the psalm? Don't miss this. In verse 5 and verse 6, he opens our eyes first. What's the first word of verse 5? Behold. What's the first word of verse 6? Behold. You've got to get your eyes open spiritually. You've got to get your eyes open to see what God wants you to see. And then come down, would you please, to verse number 8. Make me to hear joy and gladness. So watch. Now he's opening your ears. Now, now you start to get in tune with God and hear things differently. God's speaking to you. Isn't it wonderful when God speaks to you? And then if that were not enough, come on down to verse number 15 and notice God opens up your lips then and suddenly you start speaking about the Lord and talking about the goodness of God. Do you see how that God is always opening life up to us? Friends, God doesn't want less for you. He wants more for you. Sin closes in on a man, but God opens him up. What a wonderful Savior we have. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of brokenness. It's the second truth. Let me show you. You're in Psalm 51. Go back to verse 10. He says, renew a right spirit within me. Now, we all know we're not right. Only God is right. Only he can take the wrongs and make them right. So as you write this down, the Holy Spirit is not only the spirit of brokenness, but praise the Lord, he is the spirit of uprightness. Now, we're getting down to where we live. People come to an altar and they pray and they Say, Lord, I want to be clean, and I want to be forgiven, and I want to be right, and they recommit themselves to God, and then they get in their car, and guess what? The devil shows up. And they get home, and the world crops its head up. And they go back to work on Monday, and suddenly the flesh starts to try to lead them astray. What's the cure for this? Only the Holy Spirit. I tell you, you are not capable on your own of staying the course. What was it Jesus said to his own disciples? The spirit truly is willing, but the flesh is what? And I want you to know your flesh is weak. I'm going to tell you something else. My flesh is weak. In fact, the longer I live the Christian life, the more I realize I can't trust me. I just can't trust me. You know why? Because there's a sinner that lives in here. Everybody knows there's a sinner that lives in here? There's an old nature that wants its own way. And by the way, the most deceptive flesh is religious flesh because it masquerades saying all the right things and doing publicly all the right things. But beneath the surface, oh, Lord, how am I going to stay right with you? I'm, I'm happy to report, I got some good news tonight, that the same Holy Spirit that drew you back to God is the same Holy Spirit that will help you to stay right with God. Let me give you a little word study here. Would you write this down somewhere? Do you see that word in verse number 10, a right spirit? Would you circle the word right in your Bible? And in the margin, would you write the word constant or steady? In other words, it's the idea of sameness. You live long enough, you realize nothing stays the same. Isn't that true? Your bank account doesn't stay the same. Your kids don't stay the same. 
Your body doesn't stay the same. Everybody said amen to that. Let me tell you somebody who does stay the same. Only Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And only the Spirit of Christ can help you stay the same spiritually. You know what most people do? They ride the religious roller coaster. So here's what they do. If you could graph it, it looks something like this. They come to church on Sunday, and excuse me for using such a carnal term, they get their spiritual fix on the Lord's Day. And then it's all downhill from there all through the week. So finally, they stumble and struggle back to church, and they say something to the preacher like this, I tell you, preacher, I really need something today. You've got to help me today. As if he's the one that's going to give you the strength to live the Christian life. I want you to know there's not a preacher on earth that can do that. People come to revival meetings. They expect the evangelist to blow through town, open his briefcase, and a revival pops out. That's not the way it works. The Holy Spirit of God is the one that brings us to where we need to be and then keeps us where we need to be. Look, the flesh is fickle. And sin is subversive. It's always changing. And the world around us is constantly changing. Listen to me, please. The only one who can help you to be a steady, constant, faithful Christian is the Holy Spirit of God. And that only happens as you yield your life to it. So it brings us to the third one. Look at verse number 11. He says, cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Would you write down that the Spirit of God is not only the Spirit of brokenness and the Spirit of uprightness, but He is the Spirit of holiness. By the way, whatever happened to holiness? There was a generation where people used to talk a lot about holiness. Very few people even want to talk about holiness today. Matter of fact, when the preacher uses such a word, they kind of shudder and say, well, you know, honestly, that's kind of an outdated thing, isn't it? No. No, God is a holy God, and he expects his people to be a holy people. He was the one who said, be ye holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. i tell you what we've done. We've raised a Christianity that's more controlled by the culture around us than the Christ within us, and that's a problem. When our standard is what everybody else thinks is acceptable and what the mores of society are, instead of the unchanging truth of the word of God, we got a serious problem. We need a revival of holiness in our day. And how does that happen? Only when the Holy Spirit is allowed to work. Let me point out just a couple things about this verse. Number one, I would say this to you. This is a prayer you never have to pray. Somebody said, really? I thought we prayed Psalm 51. Well, may I remind you, Psalm 51 is in which testament, please? Which testament are we in? Old Testament. Something happened after the Old Testament. When the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, he came to abide with us. How long did Jesus say? forever praise God for that so David prayed take not thy Holy Spirit from me I want you to know God's never going to take the Holy Spirit from you because the gift of the Holy Spirit was given to every believer from the day of Pentecost forward and he doesn't come and go come and go come and go praise his name he comes to stay but let me make an application and it is this though you may not lose the Holy Spirit you do know you can lose the consciousness of his presence and the joy of his fellowship. Frankly, there have been a lot of days since I was saved, even though the Holy Spirit lived inside of me, that I wasn't in step with the Holy Spirit. Would you come here just a second? Let me show you something. What does it mean to be in step with somebody? I picked the wrong person, didn't I? Old people, you can't get them up fast. You know what I mean? What's it mean to be in step with somebody? Now, when I walk, you, you walk with me, all right? Stay right and step with me, stride for stride. Wait, wait, wait now. Stride for stride means what? 
Stride for stride. So that means when I go, you go. When I stop, oh, oh, you stop. When I turn, what do you do? You turn. Look, the Bible says we are to walk in the Spirit. Do you know what that literally means? It literally means that we are stride for stride to stay in step with the Holy Spirit of God. Thank you very much. Look, please, just a second. Can I tell you, there's a whole lot of Christians that have the Holy Spirit living inside of them, but the Holy Spirit is not controlling their steps day by day, and it is no wonder that we are not the people that God saved us to be. Why do we call Him the Holy Spirit? Let me ask you a trick question. Be careful how you answer. Does that mean the Father's not holy? Well, in fact, Jesus referred to him as Holy Father. Does that mean the Son is not holy? Oh, no. No, he is the Holy Son of God. So why do we refer to the Spirit always as the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost? May I tell you why? Because watch, please. He is the one who brings God's holiness to us. I hear people say sometimes, that's a holy man, or that's a holy woman. Can I let you in on a little secret? There's nobody holy apart from the Holy Spirit. And if there's any holiness in any of us, it's not our holiness. It's His holiness being produced in us. Matter of fact, Hebrews 12 says, we have been made partakers of His holiness. I love this. Holiness is not something you muster up. Holiness is not something you psych yourself up to be. Holiness is not something you put on for church. Holiness is is the very Spirit of the living God living His life through you every day. If I ask you, do you want revival? Everybody says, oh yeah, we want revival. Okay, let me ask you a question. What does that look like? Because for most people, what they mean is they want a good crowd. They want to see a bunch of people get saved, and they want everybody else to get right with God. I want you to know, when real revival comes, the Holy Spirit will start rearranging your priorities, checking your spirit, removing things that don't honor Him, and putting things in your life that reflect the beauty and glory of Jesus Christ. And if you want the Holy Spirit to have liberty to move and work, then you must say to the Holy Ghost, all right, whatever you want. Now, if that sounds kind of sad and sorrowful to you, I want you to know you're wrong. I'm so sick and tired of meeting Christians who act like they're the most miserable people on the planet. And you ask a Christian, how you doing? Well, you know, it's rough. It's really tough. How are things, brother? Well, you know, I'm just muddling through. Just Wait a minute. I thought Jesus said we'd have his joy. Oh, oh, we will when the Holy Spirit is in his rightful place in our life. Notice the divine order. I love this. Look at verse 11. He says, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. And then immediately in verse 12, he says, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Watch this. In verse 11, you get his holiness. And in verse 12, you get his happiness. I love the divine order. See, happiness is not the goal. It's the byproduct. Do you know who the most miserable people I've ever met are? People who are trying to be happy. Can I tell you, the most miserable churches I've ever been in, I'm in hundreds of churches. Do you know the most miserable churches I've ever been in? The ones who are trying to make everybody happy. See, here's the reason. Because you can't make everybody happy and you can't find happiness on your own. Oh, but I love this. When you yield your life to the control of the sweet Holy Ghost of God, He brings the joy that the world can't give you and the world can't take away. So you want the joy of the Lord? Then get in step with the Holy Ghost. You want the happiness that doesn't fade with time and age and possessions? 
then you get the Holy Spirit in His rightful place ruling in your life. And I tell you, my friend, you will have learned one of the greatest secrets not to a revival meeting but to a revived life. Which would you prefer to have? See, I'm preaching tonight praying that somehow God will work in some of you in such a way that six months from now when you can't even remember the name of the man who came to preach this meeting, but God will have done something in your life to make you more the man or the woman that God saved you to become. Now I tell you that when David was having an immoral relationship with Bathsheba, he found pleasure, but he lost joy. But when he got right with God, he found pleasure and joy. So how do you know that? Because way back in Psalm 16, he said, In thy presence there is fullness of joy, and at thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Let me just tell you something. There is nothing this world has to offer and nothing your flesh can find that will equal or surpass all the good things God has in store for his children. If you want God's best, then say yes to the Holy Spirit of God. And so it brings me to the final truth. Would you look at verse number 12? Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And uphold me with thy what? Free spirit. How many of you like the word free? That's a good word right there, isn't it? We Americans, we like free. Somebody says, well, does that mean that he's given freely? But certainly he is given freely. Somebody said, well, does that mean he makes us free? Oh, it means he makes us free. Remember where the spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Liberty. But did you know that the word free here that is used, is the same word for willing. Oh, I love this thought. Watch, please. Do you know where the great struggle in my life is? It's not in my emotions. The great struggle in my life is in my will. I'm a rebel. I want what I want. I want my way. And sometimes I just don't want to do the right thing, and I don't want to honor God, and I don't want to speak to that lost soul, and I don't want to pray, and I don't feel like reading my Bible. And don't look at me so pious. You've all been right there. But let me tell you what the Holy Spirit does. When he comes in, I love this. He changes your want to. Philippians 2 verse 13 says, It is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He begins to work his desires in you to make you hungry for God. I prayed for this tonight. I prayed not only would you be in the meeting tonight, I prayed that the people who came would come hungry for God. Are you hungry for God not hungry for a sermon, not hungry to learn something from a passage. Are you hungry for the God of the passage? Are you hungry to know the God of holiness? Are you hungry for all God has for you? Then God says, all right, I'll not only give you that desire, but I'll fulfill it too. Aren't you glad he's the author and the finisher of our faith? Being confident in this very thing that he who began a good work and you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And so what does he do? Look please at verse number 12. He upholds us. He helps you go on doing the right thing. He doesn't just help you pray at the altar. He'll help you pray Monday morning. He, he doesn't just help open Psalm 51 to you while the preacher's preaching. He'll open the scripture to you this week. He, he doesn't just give you a little comfort sitting here in a church service. He'll give you courage to pass out a gospel track and share your testimony for the Lord Jesus this week. I'm telling you that the same Holy Spirit that worked in David's life wants to work in your life. And the same Holy Spirit that works here in the church house is the same Holy Spirit that wants to go home with you tonight and work at your house. If you'll let His Spirit work in your spirit. 
I alluded to this this morning, so let's just come full circle back to it and end here tonight. Would you mark in your Bible again the first two words of verse number 8? He prays, make me. Those same two words are found in verse 6 as well. Thou shalt make me to know wisdom. And in verse 8, make me to hear joy and gladness. Maybe this would be a good prayer for all of us tonight. Lord, make me to be broken over my sin. Let's pause there just a second. Let's take a spiritual checkup, shall we? He's the spirit of brokenness. When was the last time you wept over your sin? When was the last time you were broken? I mean broken because you hurt him. We can get pretty angered at everybody else's sin. Remember, that's what David did over that story. He was going to kill the man who had, who had killed an animal, and here he had killed a grown man and hadn't even thought anything about it. Isn't it funny how we categorize sins and everybody else's is worse than ours? Well, let me ask you a question. When was the last time you were truly broken? Maybe we should start here tonight. Lord, give me back my tears. Give me back my brokenness. He's not only the spirit of brokenness, Look at the second thing. He is the spirit of uprightness. All right, Lord, make me upright. Get me, get me where I need to be. I, get everything out of my life that doesn't look like Jesus. Get it straight, Lord. I don't want to gloss it over. I don't want to say I'm 90% committed. I want to be totally given to God. Holy Spirit, you make me that. Who is he? He's the spirit of holiness. So maybe we should pray tonight, Lord, make me holy. Lord, you know my thoughts aren't holy. Lord, you know my desires are selfish. You know my motivation so often is, is carnal and short-term. Oh, God, you make me holy. And then we can come to the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, make me willing. Make me to desire the right things and make me to keep on doing right. Uphold me with thy free spirit. See, I'm not trying to have a religious pep rally tonight. No. Nope. I'm not trying to just get you stirred up in a meeting so somebody says, oh, that was a nice sermon because that's not going to help you tomorrow. What I'm saying tonight to you is that the Holy Spirit of God is God. He's a real person. He lives inside of you, and he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all you could ask or even think if you'll let his spirit work in your spirit. One of my favorite people to read after on the subject of revival was a man by the name of J. Edwin Orr. J. Edwin Orr was a man who traveled the world. He and his wife visited 150 countries. That's a lot. He preached the gospel around the world and was mightily used of the Lord. J. Edwin Orr saw revival firsthand. He saw great moves of the Holy Spirit of God in countries around the world. He studied voraciously. He has been called the foremost authority on revival movements in history. He could tell you about all the great revivals and all the characteristics of them. I'm telling you, the man knew something about revival. He went to New Zealand to preach. He took as his text while he was there another one of the Psalms of David. Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's all he preached. And while he preached it, God started searching out things. You know, the Lord has his own flashlight. When he turns his light on the crevices, he shows you things you didn't even know were there. People started getting saved and getting right with God and getting right with each other. There was, there was such a stirring. There was such a move of God. It wasn't something Orr did. It was just a simple scripture, letting God be God, letting the Lord search them out. It was a mighty revival in New Zealand. On the morning that J. Edwin Orr was to leave, a group of young people. You know revivals come when the young people start getting stirred up. 
A group of young ladies followed him to the train station that he would take the train to the boat then and be on his journey. And they wept as they said goodbye to the man who had come and preached the truth to them. And then they started singing. They sang a farewell song, an old traditional tune that those New Zealanders knew, and it was beautiful. They wrote the words down for J. Edwin Orr, and they put it in his hand. He got on the train with that tune in his mind. Would you take your hymn book out, everyone? I showed you a hymn this morning. I want to show you one tonight. By the way, by tomorrow night, you'll understand why I'm doing this. There's a method to the madness. I want you to find hymn number 174 in your hymn book. And when you get there, at the top, the left-hand corner, you're going to see his name, J. Edwin Orr. And on the right, you're going to see the melody those little girls taught him, the Maori melody that came from New Zealand. So here's J. Edwin Orr, just having had a fresh stirring of God in his own soul and witnessing it with his own eyes, listening to the song of those girls, and he gets on board that train, and he pulls out a pencil on the back of an envelope, and he starts jotting down some words. And hymn number 174 in your hymn book becomes the song that J. Edwin Orr wrote that day as he left New Zealand. I'd like you to put your eyes on the words, if you would. It's a prayer. And a song, much like Psalm 51. Search me, O God, and know my heart today. Try me, O Savior. Know my thoughts, I pray. See if there be some wicked way in me. Cleanse me from every sin and set me free. I praise thee, Lord, for cleansing me from sin. Fulfill thy word and make me pure within. Fill me with fire where once I burned with shame. Grant my desire to magnify thy name. Lord, take my life and make it wholly thine. Fill my poor heart with thy great love divine. Take all my will, my passion, self, and pride. I now surrender, Lord, in me abide. Here's my favorite verse. Notice the first word. What's the first word? Sound familiar? Oh, Holy Ghost. Revival comes from thee. Send a revival. Start the work in me. Thy word declares. Thou wilt supply our need. For blessings now, O Lord. I humbly plead. Would you look this way a moment? I'm not traveling for my health. I'm not away from home because I wanted some place to go. I truly believe there is a God in heaven and a Holy Ghost on earth who wants to revive his church and do something out of the ordinary in our generation and in our nation. And he's just looking for some people who will open their spirit to the work of his spirit. And I wonder if you might be those people. Holy Spirit, we need you. I need you. Help us now. Our heads are bowed and we sit very quiet and still for a moment in a spirit of prayer.
Would you ask God to search your heart right now? Would you at least go that far? Would you say to the Lord, Lord, search me. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Oh, God, be thorough with us. Before we have any music tonight, may I ask, how many of you know you're saved and you're happy about it? Would you raise your hand? You know you're a Christian. That's settled for you. Thank the Lord. I must ask this question tonight. I, I dare not leave a single meeting without asking it. God forbid that somebody should come to this meeting and go to hell. Is there someone among us that would say, Preacher, I'm not sure I'm saved, but I'm certain I don't want to be lost. I don't know for sure that I'm really a Christian, but I need Christ. Pray for me. Would you slip your hand in the air with mine quickly, long enough for me to see it? And I know parents are sensitive to their young children to help them and encourage them, praying with them. You say, I need the Lord Jesus as my personal Savior. I need Him. Best I can tell, I'm speaking tonight to Christians. So I want us to do some spiritual business because I believe God's doing some business with us tonight. I have two very simple questions. Answer them from your heart. How many believers tonight would say, Preacher, the Holy Spirit has put His finger on something in my life. It may be something that was mentioned. It may not be, but this God who knows everything has put His finger on something in my life that isn't exactly where it ought to be and what it ought to be. Something I need to confess and forsake and give to God. The Lord's speaking to me. Preacher, help me pray about that thing. I want you to raise your hand with mine right now, would you please? You say, that's me. God bless you, friends. In a moment, in a moment, I'm going to ask you to lead the charge to this altar, and I'm going to ask you to bring that thing to God. I'm going to ask you to come talk to the Lord about that so you'll be ready. But now here's the question for every Christian. I'm speaking to some of you have been saved a long time. Do you know who the hardest believers sometimes are to move and to grow? Those who've been saved the longest. Because we think, well, you know, I've gotten to a place where I understand this and I'm living the Christian life. And wait a minute, that's not what I ask. Is your life totally under the control of the Holy Spirit of God? Here's my question. How many believers in this room tonight would say, Preacher, I'm saved and the Holy Spirit lives in me and I'm trying to live the Christian life. But tonight, I want to say to the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, you take control of everything and you make me more like Jesus. And you begin a work of revival in my heart that will continue long after this meeting's over. You say, I'm a Christian preacher, but I want to join you in that prayer. That's what I want. I want you to raise your hand toward heaven. Would you please? You say, that's me. God bless you, friends. Then here's the invitation. It's very simple, very straightforward. In a moment, I'm going to begin a prayer. When I finish my part of the prayer, I'm not going to say amen. I'm going to point to the piano. And when I do, she's going to begin to play, Search Me, O God, and Know My Heart Today. When she hits the first note on the piano, I'm going to ask every one of you that raised your hand and are physically able, if you'll leave your place and come. Maybe some of you would like to get your family and pray with your family tonight. You may want to take your spouse by the hand and say, let's go pray together. Get your children and pray over them. And if your family's not here, you want to pray with somebody else or you will pray alone, whatever you choose to do. But I'm going to ask you to talk to God. And I want us to spend a few moments at the close of this Lord's Day asking God to search us and transform us this week. Would you stand with me now as we begin our prayer? Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, would you do a thorough work? May the Holy Spirit have his way, and may there be liberty now as we obey God. And I praise you for it. 
Right now she begins to play quickly and quietly. Would you just 